with you today. Last time I was here, I spoke on a subject, how big is your God? On the remote chance that any of you would remember that message, I brought something today that should thrill your hearts. There is the product of the 132 churches that the Christian and Missionary Alliance have planted in Hong Kong. My dad started the first church in Hong Kong before the Japanese War. From that time, your missionaries that you sent out have been working very hard to build churches in Hong Kong, which has the highest real estate values on the planet. And yet God enabled us, through his mercy, as a team of Christian Missionary Alliance missionaries, to plant 132 churches. And I was surprised when I got an invitation from those churches to tell me they were going to celebrate their 60th anniversary. And they invited me to go with my wife at their expense to speak at that event. Now, like everything you are wearing, I was made in China. <laughs> so I know how to speak Chinese. You'll never believe how many people came. I thought there'd be 2,000 people there. The police count was 36,000 people came to that stadium, which has disappeared <laughs> and is right back on now. <laughs> 36,000 people were there. The only non-Chinese there were my wife and myself. And when I got up to speak, in Chinese, which I learned flying kites and playing marbles since I was a little kid, they couldn't believe that a foreign devil was speaking Chinese. So for three minutes, they stood up and clapped and cheered and honked that one of the missionaries who had been there through that whole thing was back. And I only wanted to show you that as a postscript to what I said last time I was here. Praise God. He did it. Not us. How big is your God? Today I want to take you into the scriptures, into John chapter 6. You don't have to look at it, you just keep looking at me, because I'm going to tell it to you. Here's what happened. A little boy got up early in the morning, earlier than he'd ever gotten up, and he put his cloak on, and he started out the door. And just as he got to the door, and you all remember how you used to do that, just as he got to the door, his mother stopped him. Oh, hold on a minute before you, where are you going? Have you brushed your teeth? And she went through the whole litany that you hear from a mother who can't help herself. When I left Hong Kong, we had 2,500 people in the city hall for me to give my farewell message to. My mother was sitting next to me. They announced that I would get up to speak. And my mother 
sitting next to me, did this. I was 47 years old. <laughs> Mothers can't help themselves. And this mother was no exception. She couldn't help herself. Her little son was going somewhere. She didn't know where, so she asked him. He said, I'm going to see Jesus. He's been doing miracles. You guys have been talking about him in the house. I heard he's coming. I'm going to go see him. I can't wait to go there, out in that big field where everybody's going to meet. She said, well, how long are you going to be there? I don't know. Well, have you thought about lunch? Some mother's talking. Have you thought about lunch? No, I, I don't need lunch, Mom. No one else will have lunch. I can't show up with lunch. She said, you're taking lunch. So she went into the kitchen and got him five loaves and two fish. The Bible tells us specifically they were barley loaves. Why would it tell us that? Well, for you historians, poor people use barley. People with a little money use wheat. So he's got five barley loaves and two fish way down in that pocket. And he finally, dying to go the whole time she's talking to him, now he gets out the door. And he sees all these people heading toward that field. And he starts walking along with them. And as they go, more of them are there. And they're all talking about it. They can't wait to hear Jesus. I wonder what Jesus is going to say. Is he going to heal someone? Is he going to this? Is he going to that? He got to the field. The Bible tells us there were 5,000 men at the field. Now I ask you, who's more curious? Men or women? If there were 5,000 men, there had to be 10,000 women. <laughs> and the women had no babysitters, so they brought all the kids along. So we got 5,000 men, half a million women, <laughs> and all the kids. And this guy's a little kid, so he gets right up to the very front row, right in front of Jesus. And Jesus starts preaching and speaking. And like your pastor, he goes on and on and on. <laughs> and finally it comes to lunchtime. And this kid's wondering, you know, mom made me bring that lunch. Boy, now I'm glad. He's been sitting on his lunch now for four or five hours in the heat. I don't know about you, but my dad was a prisoner of war, caught as a missionary in Hong Kong. As a matter of fact, he came around uh, western Pennsylvania and asked people to pray for beef on Bechtel because he'd lost 90 pounds. If you're one of those people praying, stop. Jesus has the wrong Bechtel. It's all going on me. But anyway, when dad got out of prison, he had a little talk with my mother. And he said, we will never eat fish in this house. I've had it with fish. And here's a little boy sitting on two fish all morning 
out in the hot sun, marinating the fish. And then he hears the disciples talking to Jesus, and they say, what are we going to do, Jesus? It's lunchtime. Now, we couldn't just go to Kentucky Fried Chicken or somewhere. We're out in the middle of nowhere. There's 5,000 men. There's oodles of women, kids. Everybody's hungry. What are we going to do, Jesus? And Jesus said, go and see if anybody has some food. Now, all the disciples who heard that go, like somebody's going to have enough food for 5,000 men, oodles of women, and children. But Jesus said it. So they start out into the crowd. The little boy hears this. And he's thinking, nobody has lunch but me. Good old mom. I've got my lunch. And he sees a disciple coming right at him. And the disciple says, do you have any food? What would I have said? I hate to admit it. But I probably would have said, I wouldn't have lied, like, I don't have any. I would have said, like, does anybody else have any? <laughs> or, what would you want with food? Or, how could my, how could, if I, if I did have some, how could it feed all these people? No. Bible tells us that boy gave his food right away to the disciples. Now, the disciple that got that food, you know what he's thinking. This is crazy. Five loaves and two fish that this kid's been sitting on now all morning. Jesus wants me to give him this. But that's what he said. So, the disciple takes the five loaves and the two fish and gives them to Jesus. I don't have to tell you the rest of the story. Jesus took those five loaves and two fish from that young man and fed 5,000 men, big appetite, all the women, all the children, and when it was over, just to show everybody what had happened, because he didn't want them, he sent them around to pick up the loaves that were left over. That's the Jesus we worship. And then, the boy can't believe what Jesus did with his five loaves and two fish. He can't wait to get home to tell his mom. He runs home. Doesn't say that, but I'm just telling you what happened. <laughs> he runs home. He goes in. He says, hey, mom, remember the five loaves and two fish you gave me this morning? She's waiting for him to say they were just, they tasted so wonderful. He says, you remember? She says, I do. He says, Mom, sit down. I'm going to tell you something. And you won't believe me, but our neighbors were there. Go ask them. Jesus took my five loaves and my two fish, and he fed everybody there. And furthermore, I brought back some of them for you to have. The mother said, <laughs> it's true, Mom. 
go next door and ask the Joneses. They were there. And everybody in that area knew that Jesus took five loaves and two fish, a little boy's lunch, and fed all of them with food left over. When you send missionaries from the Christian Missionary Alliance to the corners of the world, they give their five loaves and their two fish to go there. And they count on you to give your five loaves and two fish to enable them to do what you sent them there to do, and I'm going to illustrate that now. My wife from Kansas City, Missouri. I came all the way from Hong Kong to go to university. I hadn't been in the United States more than half a furlough since I was born, and I was 18 years old. When I arrived at college, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. There were 350 potential Mrs. Bechtels in my class. <laughs> I, I, just was, I was just flabbergasted. Heaven. The young lady I married from Kansas City, Missouri, when I met her, I told her I was from Hong Kong and the first words out of her mouth were, I hate rice. Now, if you're going to go work with Chinese people, guess what they eat morning, noon, and night? Rice. So I said, well, how do you like cockroaches? Because we got a lot of those, too. But anyway, we went to Hong Kong with our little baby girl in 1965. And when we arrived there, Hong Kong was in absolute chaos. Because as the Red Army came through China, the refugees ran in front of it to Hong Kong. When I lived in Hong Kong as a young boy, we had 700,000 people. Hong Kong is 20 miles by 20 miles. Hong Kong has, because of all those refugees, the highest density of people in the world. 8,000 people per acre in the housing areas, the urban areas. Now, I don't know how many acres this church is on, but you can imagine how many people were in Hong Kong, and they were coming as refugees, and to get there, you had to climb over a mountain or swim to Hong Kong through shark-infested waters. So the only people who made it were young people. And my wife and I were immediately assigned to work with the under-18s in Hong Kong. Now, I was going home. The beautiful young lady I had with me who hated rice was coming from Kansas City, Missouri. So her getting into the situation in Hong Kong was very difficult, but I was coming home. And when I heard that I was the first missionary assigned to work with young people, I was thrilled with that opportunity. 
And here's why. When a refugee lives home, he's more open to the gospel than any other time in his life. He's not with his family. He's got away from whatever religious influences there are. He's in a strange place. He doesn't know anybody. He's desperate. So the work that the Christian Missionary Alliance does in refugees' camps pays off enormously because they really are interested in the gospel at that particular time in their life because they are desperate. Hong Kong was no different. We had approximately 2 million desperate young people under the age of 18 in Hong Kong. So we started to evangelize. And as we did, we found them coming to Christ by the carload. We didn't know what to do with them all. So that's when we started building our churches. But the way we were winning them to Christ was taking them out of those terrible huts they put them in. Ten people in a room, eight by ten feet, and you don't know the other nine people. They couldn't wait to get out of there. So they're sitting on the curb of the road, and they're going anywhere they can. We take them away for a weekend. We were using Buddhist temples. We were using any place we could find to take them. So finally, I came up with a grand idea, and we should have a camp, a retreat center, where we can take them for three days or a long weekend, introduce them to Jesus Christ. Now, when I was young, growing up in Hong Kong, I liked sports. I lived for sports. And I, I got up in high levels. I was on Hong Kong's international team that played against other Olympic teams and all this. And I had a buddy who was a goalie for our team. And I heard that he had become in charge of all lands that belonged to the government in Hong Kong. So I went to see him. I said, hey, Garth, how you doing? Good, nice to see you, and so on. He said, what can I do for you? I said, all these young people, I'd like to start a camp for them. Great, we need all the help we can get. I have the perfect place, 57 acres. It's an island. It's perfect. Take them to the island, have them there as long as you want. So I said, can I go look at it? Yeah, go look at it. So we went out there. The only way to get there was in a little Chinese boat called a sandpan. We went over there and walked around the island. And I went back to him and said, perfect, we'll take it. He said, well, in order to take it, you have to prove to us you have enough money to develop it. So you have to build a dock, a pier. Now, those of you who have had much experience with the Christian Missionary Alliance, know that money is never really around. And he told me that a dock would cost about $40,000. So I wrote back to everybody I knew back here, and I challenged them with this wonderful opportunity. I received a little over $1,000. I wrote back and threatened them with this wonderful opportunity. <laughs> Up to six or 7,000 people work under threat. But we were not even close. So I went back to see Garth. I said, hey, Garth, I really can't build a pier, but part of the camping experience is we'll take them near the shore, let them jump in, swim in, and that'll just make this very exciting for them. He said, no, nice try, but no, no. I said, well, do you have a place that doesn't need a pier? 
said, yeah, we have a perfect place for that. On a beach. Three or four acres on a beach. I said, let me go see it. Boy, I went to see a place called Castle Peak, if you've ever been to Hong Kong. Beautiful beach. I thought, man, this, this missionary life is turning out to be better than I thought it was going to be. I'm going to have a house right there on that beach. We're going to have those young people come there and lead them to Christ. What do you want? So I went back to see Garth. I said, Garth, we'll take that place on the beach. He said, well, in order to prove you can do the project, you have to build a building. I said, well, well how much does a building cost? It's about $40,000. I said, Garth, we've already been there. I've already tapped everybody I know. Can't do it. So I went home very discouraged. And my wife from Kansas City, Missouri said, why are you discouraged? If God wants a camp, we'll have one. That always sounds good. And I thought, yeah, right. He must not want a camp if we're thinking that way. So he started praying. Well, about that time, Billy Graham came through Hong Kong, and his traveling companion was a Christian Missionary Alliance man called Walter Maloon. Chinese couldn't get that. They called him Watermelon. <laughs> but anyway, he and Billy Graham wanted to look around Hong Kong. So I had a car called a Morris Minor. It's like a lifeboat on a Volkswagen. That's how small it is. And I drove up to their hotel in my Morris Minor. Billy Graham looked at it, and he thought, I, I, don't, I, I really don't need to see Hong Kong. So it was just Walt and me. So Walt and I went out, and we traveled around Hong Kong. And he said, what a great opportunity to reach young people. I said, Walt, let me tell you a little story. We wanted to start a camp. And we got an island and we got land and everything. It didn't work. But recently an orphanage called me up. And they're having trouble in the orphanage. It's costing them so much to run the orphanage that they want to get out of the orphanage business. And I went to see that orphanage. It's right on the border of China. It's perfect for a camp. And I said, we'll buy it from you. We'd rather you give it to us, but if we have to buy it, how much do you want? And he said, well, this orphanage guy said we just built a building there for one and a quarter million dollars, and the other buildings, and it's several acres in Hong Kong, highest real estate, and blah, blah, blah. And I finally said, okay, just give me a number. So he started up half a million, he came back down, and I talked him down to $240,000. So I said, Walt, do you mind if I take you and show you that place? He said, no, let's go. So we went to Fan Ling, is the name of the city. We went to the orphanage. Perfect. Beds for 250, athletic field, everything you'd want for a camp. Auditorium for 150, on and on, perfect. He said, well, what's the story? I said, well, we'd like to buy this place. He said, well, how much does it cost? Now, he owns a big factory that makes correct craft ski boats. That's his factory in Orlando. He said, how much is it? I said, 240000 He said, no problem. I'll raise all the money. Listen to me. I'll raise all the money you need for the camp in three months. 
Let's go back to the hotel. Well, he didn't see the inside of me, but it was jumping up and doing jumping jacks. I'd never been so happy in my life because now we're going to have the tool we need to win young people to Christ. I drove him back to the hotel. I was so happy. I immediately went home, told my wife. We praised the Lord, and I started getting ready for what we were going to do in three months. I started to hire a staff. I wrote out the whole program. I got all excited. One month went by, two months went by, three months went by, and I hadn't heard anything from Watermelon. And then I got a letter, and it started this way. Dear John, and I knew I was in trouble when I started reading that letter. He said, I have tried everything I could do to raise the $240,000 for that camp. I've been totally unsuccessful, and I don't know why. P.S., after he signed his name, enclosed is a letter from a girl in Florida. So I opened the letter. Dear Mr. Bechtel, enclosed is my ice cream money for two weeks. I live in Orlando, Florida. Please use this money to buy the camp. And there's a one dollar bill. I thought that's the worst joke I ever heard in my life. Walt Malou is going to raise $240,000. He sends me an envelope with one dollar in it and a, a note from a girl named Belinda Holmes. So I went home. I said, Donna, we're not going to have the camp. Mr. Maloon sent me this letter, hopeless. He says he's going to keep trying. We're not going to get it. My wife from Kansas City, Missouri, said to me, read the girl's letter again. So I read it to her, and the last sentence said, use this money to buy the camp. She said, well, that's quite clear. I said, what's clear about it? She says, it says use the money to buy the camp. So I said, oh, I see. So I went to the guy who owned the orphanage, and I walked into his office, and I said, well, three months are up. I have the money. He said, what bank's it in? I said, not in the bank. Well, where is it? I said, I have it in cash. Where? In my pocket. Really? <laughs> I handed him the letter. I said, read this letter. He read the letter and again went, <laughs> I said, why don't you send that letter to your board and see if they'll give me this orphanage for that little girl's five loaves and two fish for ice cream money. He sent it to the headquarters. Two weeks later, he called me in. And he said, our board was so impressed with the fact that that 14-year-old girl would give her money to buy the camp and sacrificed ice cream for two weeks, they said, you can have it for the one dollar. Give me the dollar. I didn't know what to say. All I could think of was, is this... Is this real? 
I said, are you serious? He said, yeah. I said, well, I'm serious too. Here's the dollar. He gave me the deed to the camp. About six months ago, we had the 40th anniversary of the camp. One point three million camper days have been recorded in the camp. That means one kid in the camp one day. One point three million. Over a hundred and six thousand have signed decision slips to accept Christ. I was in Paris. I went to a Chinese restaurant. The waiter came out. I talked to him in Chinese. He asked me where I was from. I said, I'm from Fan Ling. He said, I've been to Fan Ling. I said, did you go to the penitentiary or did you go to the camp? That's all there is in Fan Ling. He said, I went to the camp. I said, I started the camp. You did? That's where I asked Jesus into my life. Just a minute. Goes out in the kitchen. Brings another kid out. You started that camp? That's where I met Jesus. I, I could spend all day telling you of people I meet all over the world who came to know Christ. I met one on a train from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C. I met one in a restaurant in Virginia. I went and spoke in the CNMA Chinese Church in San Jose, California, and just a Chinese church with about 600 people in it, and I thought, why don't I just ask a dumb question? How many of you people here came to know Christ at Sundo Camp in San Jose, California, Chinese church? 34 people stood up. Now, this little girl gave her five loaves and her two fish. So about six or eight, I don't know how many years, I get the numbers all wrong, but a, a number of years. When the girl was 21, I'd be about seven years later. I was speaking in a large CMA church in Orlando, Florida. Beautiful, on a lake if you ever go there. And I told this story. And what I was done, I was standing down here meeting people, and this lovely young lady walks up to me and said, Mr. Bechtel, I'm Melinda Holmes. I sent you the one dollar. I said, you are? I'm so pleased to meet you. I called the pastor. His name was Epperson. I said, go out in the parking lot. Get everybody back in here. The girl who gave her ice cream money, her five loaves and two fish, is here, right here. So he went out, and I went out, got everybody back in. Sit down. Ushers, lock the doors. <laughs> I brought the girl up on the stage, and I said, you won't believe this. This is the young lady who gave her ice cream money for two weeks to buy that camp. Let's send her to Hong Kong to see what her one dollar did. We took up an offering. We got enough money to send her, her mother, her sister, and the British Army to Hong Kong. 
I walked that girl in the gate in Hong Kong. As we walked in the gate, I was holding one hand, and Donna, my wife, was holding the other hand. And just before we walked in, I said, did you really suffer by not having ice cream for two weeks? She said, I can't even remember it. Now, mothers can't help themselves. So mother, who's behind us, says, oh, yeah, she suffered enormously. She didn't have ice cream for two weeks. The girl turned around and said, Mom, look what the ice cream money did. And the mom said, you're right. You see, all of us have five loaves and two fishes. Some of us have been sitting on them for so long that the fishery is starting to get a little ripe. And God has given all of us some talent, some means, some ability, something we can do useful to the furtherance of God's kingdom. And we sit there hearing all the wonderful things that Jesus is saying, like that little boy did, sitting on the five loaves and the two fish that he's given us till it's rotten. I meet more people when I go around and speak, and I do a lot of it, who come up to me crying and say, you know, I knew that God wanted me to do this, or God wanted me to give that, or God could have used this, or God could have used that. And I want to close today by telling you that all of you, like that little girl from Orlando, Florida, have five loaves and two fish that God wants. When we celebrated the 40th anniversary, it was happy time for all of us. And I invited staff and former staff to dinner in the Sheraton Hotel in Hong Kong. If I had known how many would show up, we would not have been in the Sheraton Hotel in Hong Kong. But they just come, kept coming in the door. People who had worked at the camp as staff, something we never thought about. And while we were there, I got up, I don't know how many times to speak, and I said, how many of you who worked in the camp where we've had 1.2 million kids and over 100,000 except Christ, how many of you are now in full-time Christian service? anywhere in the world. 80 people stood up. I often think if I didn't do anything else in my life other than have the idea and start that camp, it was worth it. There are 80 ambassadors for Christ out working right now in the harvest field full-time because one little girl in Orlando, Florida gave her $1 ice cream money 
because she felt Jesus asked for it. 5,000 men and goodness knows how many women and children ate because a little boy gave his five loaves and two fish because Jesus asked for it. You know what? He's asking you for your five loaves and two fish. You will never forget what you heard today. Because I meet people who heard this story 20 years ago and still remember it. Because God took a little girl's offering to him and literally changed Hong Kong. About eight pastors of Alliance Churches our former staff, who came to know Christ in the camp, became staff, became pastors. The number one pastor of the Christian Missionary Alliance in Hong Kong is a kid who came to camp as a young boy, never heard of Jesus, accepted Christ, worked in the camp, and now he was the person in charge of that big meeting you saw in Hong Kong. What about it? What about your five loaves and two fish? Don't ever forget what that portion in John says. And know that you, like everybody else, has five loaves and two fish. I gave mine. My dad gave his. You going to give yours? He's just waiting for you to do so. And when you do so, he'll take what you give him and he'll change the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you told us this story about this little boy. And we thank you for that little girl in Orlando. And we thank you, Lord, that Every one of us, everybody here in this room has five loaves and two fish that are waiting, being sat upon till you use them when they put them in your hand. I pray that you help these people never to forget what they heard today because it's from your word and it's a story that teaches us a great lesson. We pray in Christ's name. Thank you, John. Didn't I tell you that you would want to hear what God had to say through him? Every single